You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact to catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every week head on over to your apple podcast app spotify or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today there are few things more ubiquitously american than the hot dog Though historical claims to their creation far predate the founding of the United States, like apple pie, they have been adopted and loved far more in America than the place that invented them, which admittedly is unknown. And love them we do. The National Hot Dog and Sausage Council estimates that over 20 billion are consumed per year, or approximately 61 hot dogs for every man, woman, and child. This past 4th of July in Coney Island, Brooklyn, over the course of 10 minutes, the winner of Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, Joey Chestnut, inhaled 71. So some people are certainly above the national average. That is, in part, what I want to talk about this week. No, not national averages, but Coney Island and its influence on the way Americans eat their franks, told through the story of a turn-of-the-century immigrant diaspora. Let's talk about the hot dog as a vessel for a collective heritage. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 43, Coney Island Days. Not too long ago, I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I noticed something I thought was a bit odd. In the city's downtown, within a block of each other, there are two restaurants with very similar names, Coney Island Lunch and Coney Island of Scranton. Now, I'm not entirely clueless when it comes to my hot dog history. I knew about the Coney Island dog, but it seemed strange to find not one, but two Coney Island restaurants so far removed from, well, Coney Island. I was curious, so I reached out to the owner of Coney Island Lunch, and, well, you know, I'll just let him speak for himself. My name is Peter Ventura. My grandfather started this restaurant in 1923. He was Steve Karampolis. He came from Greece, landed in Ellis Island, met by a priest uh, from Brooklyn because there's a pretty big uh, Greek community there got in, into some restaurant, and uh, because it seems like there's a lot of Greek restaurants that sell Texas wieners. Quick note here that Coney Island dogs and Texas wieners are exactly the same thing, and they are... Or hot dogs with chili, mustard, and onions. But anyway, let's get back to the story of Steve Karapolis and the history of the Coney Island lunch. Now, where were we? He made his way to Scranton because there's a pretty big Greek community between Scranton and Wilkesbury, and around 1920, somewhere around there, started a couple of restaurants before we got the Coney Island lunch, and then we've been doing that same business all these years since then. Like all culinary creations, from the whoopie pie to, well, the Coney Island dog, everybody seems to stake a claim as its creator. It is likely that no individual person can lay claim to be the inventor of the Coney Island dog, 
but rather that it was a synthesis from the efforts of thousands of cooks who were part of what's called the Great Wave of Greek and Macedonian immigration. 343,000 people between 1900 and 1919. That might not sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but remember that in 1900, the American population was just over 72 million, meaning that the Great Wave increased the American population by 0.47% of its 1900 levels, a significant amount. But anyway, the founder of the Coney Island Lunch, like so many others, also laid claim to be the creator of the recipe. Here's what Peter had to say about it. You know, my grandfather, when I asked him how he came up with the idea, the idea was his, he said, you know. And, you know, when your grandfather tells you stuff like that, you take that for granted, you know. But the, the biggest thing is, somewhere in Brooklyn was, you know, somebody selling hot dogs that was pretty close to this. And there was probably a couple other restaurants that were doing the same thing. Because it seems like wherever I go, and I've traveled across the country and ate hot dogs in a lot of places that were basically started in the 20s like that. And, um, you know, their parents, are, you know, they say the same story that they invented and anybody else copied off them. And, you know, it, it sounds like that could be, but, you know, it's pretty hard. It's like Johnny Appleseed, you know, somebody gave them the idea now each one of them probably you know put their own spin on the taste and everything or you know what they put in the sauce and stuff like that but uh basically i think that's it all emulated from brooklyn somewhere and peter is entirely correct though we can't pin down who exactly invented the coney island dog we know a little bit more about the hot dog in general which is intimately entwined with the history of coney island as the story goes, in 1869, Polish immigrant and baker Charles Feltman had a eureka moment and decided to pair a frankfurter sausage with a specially made long roll, resulting in one of the first incarnations of modern fast food. He called them Coney Island Red Hots, and there are a number of urban legend stories telling how the Red Hot became known as the Hot Dog. The most prevalent myth focuses around American cartoonist Tad Dorgan, who, when drawing a cartoon of vendors selling red-hot dachshund sausages but being unable to spell dachshund, simply captioned it, Hot Dog. Red Hots took Feltman far, eventually funding the start of Feltman's German Gardens, a gargantuan restaurant complex that would grow to consume an entire city block housing nine restaurants, a roller coaster, an arcade and carousel, a ballroom, an outdoor movie theater, a hotel, beer garden, bathhouse, pavilion, a life-sized model village, two bars, and an arboretum. He served 40,000 hot dogs a day. At its peak, the German gardens saw over five million customers a year. Such a large establishment required an equally large amount of employees one of which was a young immigrant man who was employed in the Feltman's kitchen to slice hot dog buns. His name? Nathan Handworker. And in 1916, he quit Feltman's to start up his own shop, Nathan's. But let's roll back a bit, because there's something that I skipped over in the chronology of the hot dog. 
There is a reason hundreds of restaurants all started around the same time, all scattered across the country, share the name Coney Island in common. And it has to do with a book published in 1905 called The Jungle. The Jungle exposed the horrendous conditions of the American meatpacking industry, and as a result, there was a massive pushback against questionable meats. To some, the name Hot Dog seemed to suggest that it might have actually been made out of dog, and after the grotesque reveals of the jungle, such an assumption would not have been entirely unreasonable. Publicity surrounding the word was so negative that in 1913, the Chamber of Commerce actually banned the use of it on Coney Island signage. Thankfully for hot dog vendors all around the country, there was a name that was already associated with a quality franc, Coney Island itself. And so what do scores of enterprising new immigrants do if they want to start a hot dog restaurant whose quality cannot be questioned? Simple, name it after Coney Island. Simultaneously, the recipe for the Coney Island dog is developed and proliferates throughout the Greek and Macedonian immigrant communities and, well, the rest, as they say, is history. In this incredibly unique confluence of events, we see the hot dog, or more specifically, the Coney Island dog and the restaurants that make them not as just food, not as just places, but as powerful vehicles for a shared history, for the stories of immigrants that came to America searching for a better life. The Coney Island restaurants are vestiges of the America of 100 years ago. They embody everything from passion to paranoia, and they're not going anywhere soon. Let's take a moment and hear about how day-to-day -day life has changed at the Coney Island lunch. The only difference from what we do now and what my grandfather did back then was he had Greek olives here too, like Kalamala olives and he used to give them with the hot dogs. And I can tell you, when I started working for my grandfather, I was like 11 years old, and I'm 64 now. He, he refused to sell you a hot dog unless you got it with everything on it. So there was no plain hot dog or just mustard or anything. When you went in there and you ordered, we used to just yell out three up, four up, five up, and that was it. And he made them with everything. Those ingredients went with it from day one, I think. I don't think anything's changed. The only thing that has changed like over the years is our vendors. We've outlasted tons of them. So we survived all these things. The environment that my grandfather was in, there was no insurance, there was no licenses, there was no inspections. Now you have to have hood systems, you have to wear gloves. Like we, used to, When my grandfather made the hot dogs, he used to put the hot dogs up his arm, up to his elbows. That would be like, you know, eight or nine, ten hot dogs lined up his arm, and he'd put the mustard, onions, and chili on it. And he used to swing his arm and everything when he did it. Like, he put a show on, you know. Now you can't do that unless, you know, you got to have a glove that goes up to your elbow. <laughs> but So basically, I still do the same thing he did, but I'm limited to, you know, putting four on my hand. And luckily, I have big hands, so that helps, too. So we've been doing, you know, the same thing, except for the sandwiches and the fact that you could come in here and order a hot dog with ketchup, and I'm going to do it. It's hard to get, like, I'll have days here where I'll make 60 different kind of hot dogs, and we only have, like, five ingredients. 
you know, and that's the way, if that's what the people want, now that's what you got to do, you know. All those things have changed, but, you know, we still make enough to keep carrying on. <laughs> but I'm going to carry on. I'm pretty healthy, and, uh, you know, I, don't, I have no intentions of retiring, no matter what, because this is like my museum now. It's my clubhouse. I got, I love baseball, so the walls are covered with baseball stuff. So I enjoy being here, you know. Before I end this week's episode, there was one question that I absolutely had to ask Peter. Here it is. Well, one last question. Over the course of, of working at the Coney Island lunch, how many hot dogs do you think that you've made? You know, it's pretty, it sounds like it would be hard to think of, but it's pretty simple for me because I started cutting buns regularly around 1973. I mean, I was making hot dogs when I was 14. Based on how many buns I cut a day, um, sometime next year I'm going to pass 7 million, and that's myself. Wow. And there you have it. I want to thank Peter for agreeing to be a part of this very special episode. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.